Greetings, this is J.R. Dickey. Thanks for tuning in to our podcast. And by the way, don't forget our website, graceandtruth.net. I hope you're having a great day, but if not, hang with me. It's about to get better. Okay, today we're going to start with an admonition from the Apostle Paul. He wrote to Timothy and said, But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And so today, yes, we're going to talk about this topic of deception. Okay, let's get started. A pungent odor of pipe tobacco filled the dark room, and I sank there into the overstuffed chair in front of the large wooden desk. The place seemed dark. Yeah, dark is the word. But it wasn't just that the lights were dimmed. The campus reverend behind the desk looked at me, a 19-year-old, just wonderfully saved kid, and asked again what exactly I wanted. I just gave my heart to the Lord last night, and I'd like to follow him. What do I do? I responded. His answer gave me the shivers. Well, if you really want to know him, you'll first have to know the devil. Well, I immediately excused myself and promptly made my exit. Clearly, this man's advice was at best misdirected. However, knowing about the enemy's devices is indeed an important part of our warfare. So, sin is the topic of what I'm going to talk about now, specifically the pathology of sin. It's my intent to just briefly put a heavenly spotlight on it in order to remind us of sin's origin, its method of infection, its effects and consequences, and its conclusion. In doing so, it's my hope that we will glean additional biblical understanding of it versus any other kind, and that armed with this understanding, we will love, worship, pray, and minister all the more effectively until the Lord's return. You know, sin loves dark places. It hides in dark places and proliferates in the dark. Conversely, it simply cannot abide in the light. That's light with a capital L. Interestingly enough, it seems to have found its origin in Lucifer, which means light bearer, for it transformed him such that his name became Satan, the devil, the destroyer, etc., See Ezekiel 28, 12-15. Though he can yet appear as an angel of light, that's only a deception. From here, it appears that he may have infected some of the angelic host, perhaps a third of them. You can see Revelations 12, 4 for that. And certainly, we know that he infected mankind. <laughs> that's Genesis chapter 3. I use the term infected specifically, for sin is very much like a disease. It is spiritual in nature, but its sickening consequences are very observable, even in the material world. Now, mankind is universally infected from conception. See Romans 3.23 and 5.12. Nevertheless, sin displays degrees of magnitude within the individual and within a society. It is clearly constrained in this world 
by the Spirit of God. 2 Thessalonians 2.7 But this is a topic of another discussion. Suffice it to say that the scriptures speak of trespasses, sins, great sin, besetting sins, iniquity, and the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. This latter one being the only one that is not forgiven in Christ, for it is the rejection of Christ. But herein is a very important point. Sin always seems to start off small. This is a fundamental part of its deceptive maturing process. Consider the Garden of Eden. Satan did not tempt Eve to murder, divorce, or even hurt Adam. The lure was to do something seemingly small in the way of disobedience to God, something that we can't be sure she even understood firsthand from the Lord since she wasn't around when he gave the warning to Adam. But the bombshell was that what looked like a small deal was actually a multi-megaton warhead, the first weapon of mass destruction. The WMD was to doubt God, to doubt his word, his motive, his goodness, his love, and thus to believe Satan instead. You see, doubt is not the absence of belief, but rather the believing of something else in its place. Mankind didn't just disobey. He switched masters. And it is still true today. Sin crouches at the doorway of our hearts. See Genesis 4-7. It inhabits our flesh. And in stealth, in deception, it tries to lure us into its deadly jaws. It appeals to three things. The lust of our eyes, the desire of our flesh, and or our stinking pride. It is so incredibly effective because as it is destroying, it blinds us to its true nature. You know, Eve did not realize her own deception until after giving the fruit that, quote, was good for food, pleasant to the eyes, and desirable to make one wise to Adam. I used to tell the youth in our church, that sin wants you to see it as an ice cream sundae and to taunt you for your diet. All the while, it is really a steaming, stinking meadow muffin. Now, if it cannot lure us directly into its trap, it is satisfied initially in drawing us to the edge, to the brink of the cliff, so to speak. Insidiously, it knows that as long as we hang out near the tree, near the place of sin, in our minds or otherwise, that we will indeed be swept over the brink by the next wind that blows. Now, pathologically, the effect of sin is basically to harden, to desensitize, and to disintegrate us. The Bible likens sin to two types of word pictures, leprosy, and leaven. You see, leprosy is a disease that infects the nervous system and breaks it down. A leper loses feeling in the extremities. Leaven is yeast, a material that basically rots or corrodes its host. And as such, that is sin. It hardens. See Hebrews 3.13, Matthew 19.8, 
Job 41.24, and there's several others. And it creates a callousness over our hearts. Meanwhile, it rots and grows by festering. One sin leads to another, to another, and to another. And you know, along with me, that it's never satisfied. Like yeast, it breaks down the integrity of its host. It breaks down the mental, moral, physical processes and brings its subject to disintegration and death. See Proverbs 14.30 and Isaiah 5.24. It is, as you know, a horrific sight. Now, I would love to be able to tell you that after you give your heart to Christ, this is no longer a problem. But we can all testify that just isn't so. In fact, in some ways, it's even more of an issue. Upon accepting Christ as Savior and Lord, you were inhabited by His Holy Spirit. And your sins, all your sins, big, little, past, present, even future, were forgiven by God. It is also true that this forgiveness is complete. That is, God doesn't just put your sins on a shelf, so to speak, or He can refer to them the next time you blow it, but He utterly obliterates them from His memory and separates them from you by an infinite distance. The Bible says, as far as east is from west. Nevertheless, that doesn't mean you won't be tempted by sin, or experience the consequences of sin in this life. Paul gave perhaps the most outstanding treatise on this in the book of Romans, chapters 5 through 8. When you're saved, you begin to change, but sin does not. It still wants to destroy you. Fortunately, as a saved person, you have additional help. Although the devil will try to convince you otherwise, you've actually been set free from the domination of sin in your life. When you're born again or anew, you have the ability to choose not to sin. You see, salvation results in the right kind of pro-choice movement, if you would. However, if you still occasionally sin, well, you sin, don't you? Yes, you do. Don't deny it. And what do you do about it? This is where the saved person can even face more travail, for unlike the lost and unrepentant, he or she cares about sin and increasingly recognizes sin for what it is. Paul wrote, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? That's Romans seven twenty four. But when you fail, if you'll listen to the Spirit of God, and repent, the result can actually be healthy. For you know what? It leads to greater and greater humility in your character, as well as appreciation of holiness. Now, the spiritually healthy Christian is much more concerned about personally pleasing God than in pointing out others' shortfalls. This isn't self-centeredness. It's God-centeredness. But unless you know how to deal with sin, you can end up either tolerating it, or being condemned for it. Now, the Bible clearly states that, quote, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, 1 John 2, 1. And, quote, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins 
and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1.9 And, quote, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. That's Romans 8.1. That is, we are to confess, repent, and get moving again in the right direction. We are also to rescue our brothers in humility and love when we observe them having problems, knowing that we are also vulnerable in the flesh. Check out Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Toleration of sin happens frequently when we listen to the thought that says, oh, it's not that bad, or when we use the wrong measuring stick. That is, we compare ourselves to others. I'm not trying to set any standard for you here, but as an illustration, I have good friends that will watch certain movies they shouldn't because, oh, it's just a little violent or because they know their pastor saw them. I know sincere Christians who've let sin absolutely ruin their marriage, their ministry, and their memories. Pastors that have deserted their families and ministries. Missionaries that have returned self-righteous or bitter and angry from their mission field. The list goes on and on, all because they tolerated sin. You know, God hates sin with a perfect hatred. And we should also... See Psalms 97.10 and Proverbs 8.13. He'll never tolerate it because it's destroying his loved ones. And it cost him the life of his only begotten son. Now you may think I'm being simplistic, but I'm passionate about the ignorance of sin. None of us who believe have the luxury, especially in these last days, of time to toy with sin, to ignore it, or to walk under its cloud. And trust me, I say that in the mirror, much more than sharing it here. Certainly none of us will attain to some sinless state in this life. But as we see the day approaching, let's all fight the good fight, day by day, until our dear Lord's return. Sin Never become comfortable with it or condemned by it. Let's always keep the awesomeness of our Heavenly Father and our perfect Savior in mind. For when we see Him, oh wow, we shall be like Him. Hallelujah.